If you've got your Bibles, would you open to 2 Peter chapter 1? It's tough stuff, man. Life is tough. Living in this world is tough. Um, I hate to see relationships broken. Um, I hate to see the sin in this world, the darkness in this world, and you do too. We live amongst it. Peter is addressing a group of Christians as he's writing this letter um, who are in old school Babylon. They're in northern Turkey, what we would call northern Turkey today. This is where this circular letter has kind of gone out to the churches there. And one church will read it. They may have a transcriptionist there, a, a scribe that's writing it down so they have a copy of it for themselves. And they share it with another uh, community of believers and another church somewhere around the area. And this letter that Peter's written, the second letter, gets passed around. And today, in Second Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 21 is where we're going to be, by the way. Today, Peter is writing how not only his readers of that day, but also us today, should take the message about Jesus seriously. We won't believe something unless we're assured of its truth and validity. Um, Peter is telling us to pay attention to God's message like, and he'll say this and we'll read it in just a second, but like we would focus on a light shining in a dark place. It's amazing if you've ever gone camping um, and it's just pitch dark out there. Maybe you've got a headlamp or a flashlight, but uh, it's amazing how much just a little beam of light can do to illuminate your path. And when we are in darkness, what we want, what we, what we as believers especially desire is for illumination. And that's kind of the case in this decision that's affecting our nation right now. We would like all men and women's minds to be illuminated to the spiritual truths of God. But so many will resist that. But we who have that need to pay attention to the source of the light. What's shining? Where's it coming from? And guys, it is over and over, and Peter will say this, it's God's word more than anything else that makes things in life visible to us. The source of the light is the truest thing we have. So if we can trust the source of the light, if we can trust God himself, we can trust his message and we can trust his messenger. And so Peter is a trustworthy uh, person in this account. Peter writes, read with me 2 Peter 1 verses 19 through 21. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. The word of the prophets has confirmed beyond doubt to which you do well to heed, pay attention to, as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first above all other things, that no prophecy of the scripture is of anyone's own private interpretation. They didn't just come up with the stuff and write it. For no such prophecy was ever brought forth by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke from God as they were moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit. Oh, man. If you're going to win somebody in this day and age, uh, we call it a day of intellectual, uh, really, ascent. But really and truly, people are less intellectual today than I think even they were 30, 40, 50, 200, 300, 500 years ago. We have all the education available, all the learning institutions and higher education places, but people often don't think for themselves. That's human nature, right? We are led astray. We're like sheep, man. We can be led, all of us, whether we're Christians or not Christians, we can be led pretty easily when the whole herd is walking somewhere we tend to follow. 
And what happens is, is that a lot of people don't believe God because they don't believe that his word is true. We have a foundational system here that if we can establish with someone that the word of God is actually true, winning them to Christ is so much easier. But people will say, well, I don't believe anything about that. I believe there was a historical Jesus, and I think he was probably a good guy, but so was Gandhi, and so were other people along the way. But if we can establish that this is the actual word of God with someone, then when we teach it, when we hear it, when it convicts us and pierces us, something changes. And for us as believers today, when we're reading this word of God, the Holy Spirit is acting as really an interpreter to our souls and to our spirits, helping us not only to understand, but hopefully convicting us to act on these words. We believe that these are the very words of God. That he led men and women over a period of 15, 1,600 years, uh, more than that even, uh, to write down these words. There were a lot of authors in the Bible. I've heard anywhere from 35 to 50 authors of the Bible. From uh, Job was actually the first one that wrote anything down, if you're thinking about chronological time. But then you've got Moses who wrote the Pentateuch. He wasn't alive when the world was created. God gave him that word by his spirit, and he was a faithful man of God who wrote down the prophetic vision of God so that we would have it recorded. And so we, we, we want to look at the Word today and be assured that this is really God's Word. And at the end of this, I want to talk about your assurance of salvation. How can you and I grow in assurance? What is assurance? It's just being sure that you are sure that God is real, that God loves you, that God blesses you, that God hears you, that God has saved you, that God will take you to be with Him, that He's walking with you, that His promises are true. And so... We can be sure of this God, and, and I'll reiterate that so many times, but don't just take my word for it. Peter, uh, the last week we were here, had just finished giving his account from the Mount of Transfiguration with Christ. He saw and heard the whole thing uh, when the word of God was pronounced audibly from heaven. Now listen, that's a big deal. He was with Jesus when, uh, what was it, Moses and Elijah appeared. He heard God's voice. He, he, he was caught up in that. He was there. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't just a vision. It was reality because then they physically walked back down that mountain together. And so this man, Peter, whom Jesus loved, Jesus called him out. Jesus drew him away from his uh, fishing ministry and uh, brought him along and, and saved his soul, is telling us that he is an eyewitness of God's majesty. That his words are trustworthy and true. That there is conclusive, concrete proof of God's written word. The apostle didn't need to see the Old Testament prophecies firsthand or hear the prophets speak in order to be convinced of the full authority of the Old Testament. What Peter's saying here is that what he saw and heard on the Mount of Transfiguration was just one more proof that God was real, that God's word that was recorded for them was real. And guys, every time God answers a prayer, every time God performs a miracle, every time God does something that you, you can only attribute to God, that should just be one more proof that he's real to us. 
We should have a mountain of proof, every one of us in our lives, saying, God did this, God did this, God did this. Yes, I know God's real. How do I know he's real? He did this for me. He answered this prayer. He walked with me. He spared me from this. He saved me from this. He delivered me from my sin. He gave me this job. He gave me this family. He helped me move here. He helped me fulfill his will. I mean, the list goes on. You should never have a lacking in telling somebody why you know God is real. You should have experienced God so many times in your life as a Christian that it just flows out of you. I mean, you don't ever even think about God not being real. But we build on that. When we talk about the Old Testament, the Old Testament were the scriptures that the, the apostles had, that the early church had. They were yet to write a lot of these letters, but as they wrote them, they became what we call the New Testament canon. And we have them today, but this was new stuff for them. And so they were building off of the Old Testament. I love this quote. Listen, uh, I had mostly favorable responses from bringing in Rabbi Wolicki in here. Um, that guy is an Old Testament scholar, to be sure. And guys, as Christians, we know where we came from. We know that we are a New Testament church, and we know that Jesus is Messiah. But if we forsake the Old Testament, we forsake the largest part of God's revelation of himself. We forsake the history of where we came from. We forsake the lessons that were taught to us. We forsake our origins as, uh, as a people and whom we are grafted into. And so I love this quote that Augustine said. He said, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. Do you ever think about it that way? The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. And so the whole Word of God, all 66 books, 39 and 27, they are bound together by this golden cord that flows throughout. The Old Testament is essentially the autobiography, the autobiography of God. When we speak about God's greatness or his holiness, we learn that primarily from the Old Testament. How many stories this last week for, were from the Old Testament? I got to dress up uh, with a pillowcase on my head and uh, some cord and be David this past week, King David. We shared that story with the little ones. Um, those stories are paramount to teaching us about God. We can't forsake that those words, I don't think anybody doubts that the Old Testament is the Word of God. A lot of times people doubt that the New Testament is, but we don't doubt either. It's all the Word of God. And so God is self-revealing himself, not only in the Old Testament, but he's using the prophets of old and the apostles of new to carry us into his presence. The words and the writings of the New Testament combine to give us the complete prophetic word of God. And he says we're to regard that as a light in a dark place. Let it illuminate your souls and your mind. This fallen world is dark. I think I, I probably repeat that every week, and I know that we know that. But listen to what Jesus said, um, or John wrote in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness... And the darkness did not comprehend it. We have a lot of that visible today. When Jesus came as the incarnate, living, fully embodied word of God in the flesh, the powers of darkness were not able to extinguish the light. Think about how many times they either picked up stones or tried to kill Jesus and uh, they couldn't because it wasn't God's appointed time. The cross was on the horizon for him. Uh, Jesus 
was not able to be put out by men. That light can't be. Satan can't even put out that light. But we know that sinful men and women, that in our sinfulness, we prefer darkness to light. Because this world is plunged into darkness by sin. When we see people that smear blood on their clothes and say, uh, I wish we could abort every baby. You can tell that that person is doing what a sinful person does. You, don't ex- you would expect more out of anybody because of a moral floor. But when that person is doing things, they're doing it out of a sin nature that is completely ignorant of God. The deadness in their trespasses and sin is evident by their actions and the way that they, they perceive and value other lives. We see that in the world today. We know that sinful people do sinful things. But we also know that holy people are supposed to respond and do holy things. And so, when we're offended, and we should be by sin, we need to take our offenses to the Lord. How do you think he feels? How do you think Christ felt? How do you think the apostles felt, or uh, the prophets of old felt, or Jeremiah when he was preaching and nobody would listen to him or heed him, or, or Noah on the ark as he for 120 years told people, hey, there's a storm coming, God's going to destroy the wickedness on this earth. And they said, Noah, you're nuts, man, and... What happened? Guys, we know the end result. We know our salvation. We know of redemption. We know the truth. And we're to live it and mercifully, lovingly, graciously share it. If people reject it, they reject it. Their judgment is upon themselves, but it's not on us. I don't want judgment to fall on any person in this room because we didn't stand at the top of the tower and blow our horns and herald out to the world, Jesus saves Let's not let anybody's blood be on our hands because we're telling people that Christ is the answer. Now here's the deal. You don't go up to somebody and say, hey, idiot, don't you know Jesus will save you? Do you think they're going to listen to you? No. You tell the truth, the full truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, with the love and the grace and the mercy of God being a respecter of the dignity of people. Listen, grace and mercy plus truth is what the Holy Spirit uses to unlock and convict hearts and souls. So listen to this. Near the end of Revelation, in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, we read Jesus' words to the apostle, uh, to John, when he was exiled on the island of Patmos. He said, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. That title for Jesus is referenced here. You remember he said that when the, when the dawn comes and the bright and morning star arises in our hearts? Well, Jesus is called in Revelation the bright and morning star. He's coming that day to bring dawn. What happens at dawn? The darkness goes away, the light is coming, and it fully restores, and the light exists. Jesus is coming. There's a time coming when only light will be evident, and the darkness will be done away with. All pockets of darkness all across the world will be done away with. They'll be, they'll be evaporated, they'll be overcome, and there won't be darkness anymore. And when we're dead in our trespasses and sin, we know this. We call that person a lost person. We were all in this place at one point in time. If you're not today, lost. 
We're called children of darkness in the scriptures. But when the Holy Spirit of God penetrates that darkness, I love this idea here. When the Holy Spirit of God penetrates that darkness and illuminates, when the bright and morning star comes to full fruition and he's at noontime there, he illuminates our minds. He not only draws us to the Father through the Son and saves our soul, but he also gives us spiritual eyes to finally see. As we seek the light and follow the light, more and more is made illuminated and revealed to us. We become more and more like having the mind of Christ, as Scripture tells us we're to do. When we become Christians, we get a clearer, fuller understanding of the true, beautiful nature of Jesus. And that happens. Why? Because the Holy Spirit brings light into our hearts. This is not a natural phenomenon. This is a supernatural phenomenon. So, uh, when we, when we um, talk about the existence of God, what we want people to see is they have to know Jesus first, but it helps illuminate Scripture. I don't know if you read the Bible before you were, before you were saved. I don't know. A lot of people don't just pick it up for uh, personal perusement. You know, we don't just read it. But as you've grown in your Christ-likeness, as you've grown in your salvation, how many times has Scripture become more and more personal? How many times has something in Scripture been revealed that you never saw before? The Holy Spirit is working to do that and make more illumination happen. You know, I'm going to skip a couple of slides. Um, and I'm going to go on to... Uh, Slide nine. But here's, the, here's what Paul wrote. He wrote it to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. And you guys know this scripture. I know you do. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. I, I wish we'd just spend... 10 minutes or so on that, but we're not going to. But here's the deal. What does doctrine do? First of all, it's God-breathed. It comes from the mouth of God. If it's in here, it came from the mouth of God. Secondly, it does these four things for you and I, okay? It reproves us. Why? Because we have a tendency to think we're right. We have a tendency to want to do things our way. We want to go our direction. We want to make the decisions and call the shots. And God's Word does something amazing and that it reproves us. How does it do that? Through doctrine. Good doctrine leads to good living. Bad doctrine leads to bad living. It's pretty simple. It also corrects us. You know what? If I'm stuck in a sinful situation in my life, let's say it's an addiction to pornography. Uh, hey, listen, we don't talk about pornography in the church very much, and we certainly don't talk about addictions, but uh, the statistics say that there is a whole slew of us that are even present this morning that have some addiction to pornography. And people are like, whoa, 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 man, it's way too personal. I don't want the light shined into that room of my home, okay? Well, let's just use that as an example this morning. If I'm living in a dark room where I'm addicted to something, okay, God is not going to allow me as his child. He's not going to allow me in his holiness to stay in that place. And so what will he do? He'll make it uncomfortable. He'll convict me. He will do lots of different things to make me where I'm miserable in that place because he wants to deliver me out of that. God correcting you is an act of mercy. 
Your pride, your hypocrisy, your arrogance, whatever sin it is that you have, whatever flavor, Baskin-Robbins has 32, we have a whole lot more. Whatever your flavor of sin is, God won't let you stay there. He loves you too much for that. And so he wants to correct you and bring you out of it. And then what does he want to do? He wants to instruct you in righteousness. Why? So that you may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is just not a work of human beings. Its origin and authority come from God himself and only God. And jumping down, none of the word of God came by human power. But if you reject the writings of those whom God chose, you're rejecting God himself. To say that this isn't the word of God because Peter wrote it or Paul wrote it or King David wrote it is also to reject God. I don't think we think about that very often. But God saw fit to use these men to write his word down. Here's the beautiful part about it. The assurance of God is found in this communication to us. A lot of people don't have assurance because a lot of people don't spend any time with God. We spend time with CNN, hopefully not. Spend time with MSNBC, hopefully not. Spend time with Fox News, hopefully not. We spend time with the newspapers and the news articles and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We spend time with tabloids and we spend time with stuff on the internet. And uh, some of y'all watch The View and you need to repent of that, okay? Uh, we spend time in all kinds of places. But a lot of time, what gets relegated to the tiniest slivers of our life is spending time with God. And we hear all this doubt and all this junk spewed all the time. And over here, we hear this still small voice that's trying to assure us and comfort us and, and bless us and, and love on us. And who do you think wins when you've got all this over here that's trying to feed you one way and you've got this that you give your time to over here that's trying to lead you the right way. And so guys, proportionately, we need to put God where he needs to be. And that's on top and in the bigger portion of our lives. And we need to silence some of the other junk. Man, some of us, myself probably included, need to take a, uh, do a fast from social media. If you're mad all the time and, it's, and you're only mad after you look at social media, here, here, here's a, here's a no, novel idea. Maybe it's social media that's making you in such a bad mood all the time. If you can't stand your brother-in-law and he's the one that's always posting, don't break relationship with your brother-in-law. Just get off social media or mute him for a minute, okay? All I'm saying is get stuff out of your life that is leading to a lack of assurance for you. Get stuff out of your life that's pulling you away from the Lord and focus more on, my goodness, the promises of God. I've got a card on my desk. And it sits right in front of my computer, and it says, God is. And it's a reminder to me, God is love. He is, man, that's what everybody wants to say. But he is. Love is God. We have a, a skewed, perverted idea of what love is in our world today. God is truth. God is righteous. God is good. God is present. And it's a reminder to me that these assurances are real in my life. I don't look at it every day. I don't read it every day. I don't think about that stuff every day. But when I do, my heart is settled and my mind is set. God is for me. Who can be against me? My God has me. Who can snatch me out of his hand? Not even Satan himself. Certainly not this world. 
Guys, we have a God that is bigger than any problem in this world. And one day, it may be tomorrow, it may be 40 years from now, we're all who trust Jesus as Savior going to be with him. In the meantime, what are you doing? Rest assured that this God loves you so much that he would give, and he did give, his only begotten son to save you. Need there be any further evidence? But there is. Daily, he gives you life. Daily, he causes his sun to rise and his rain to fall. Daily, he feeds you and nourishes you and provides for you. Daily, he gives you breath. Daily, he walks with you. Daily, he protects you. There are so many assurances of the goodness of God. And so, let's move to this very last part. Okay? This is important. How can you have assurance of salvation? I want, I want y'all to be real. Because my hand's going up. Because this does something. Has there ever been a moment in your Christian life that you've doubted your salvation? And I have. And there's a whole lot. And listen, if you haven't, praise God for that. But most of us at one point in time have thought, hmm, I don't know that I'm really saved. I don't know that I could be saved. I don't know if, if this is really the way. I don't know how it could be so simple that I would believe in him by faith and he would save my soul. It seems too easy, but it's not easy, is it? Here's the deal. Listen to 1 John 5, 11 to 13. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He or she who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Uh, pretty simple right there. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, that you may have assurance that you have eternal life. Now let me ask you from that, leave that slide up there. Who is it who has the Son? And this is response. Who has the Son? Those who have believed in Him, right? My question to you this morning is, have you believed in Him? Has there been a point in time in your life when you have put your faith and believed asking God to save you? I'm asking that to everybody in here from 9 years old to 98 years old. Has there been a moment in your life that you've asked God to save your soul? Okay. If you have, then you have invited Jesus to come into your life. And the Bible says clearly that if you have Jesus, you have life. Not temporary life. Some folks will preach and teach a message that says, listen man, you're driving down the road, and you're like my friend Jerry, okay? Not Jerry Smith. Jerry Thomas, all right? Jerry and up here, okay? Jerry back in Alma. Jerry's driving down the road on his gold wing, and a deer runs out in front of him. What do you think Jerry said? It wasn't edifying words, okay? Jerry hit this deer so hard. I mean, it messed him up. Killed the deer. I don't know how I didn't kill Jerry. He was in the hospital for a while. 
But some people would say, well, if the last things you said there in that moment was a bad word, you sinned, you lost your salvation, sorry, eternity's out of the question. We don't have a Savior who's still hanging on a cross. We don't have a Savior who has to keep crawling back up on that cross every time you or I sin. It was done once and for all and fully satisfied the wrath of God for all men for all time. We have an eternal God. And so here's the deal. I love this thought. Our names are inscribed on the palm of Jesus. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The boys the other day got this gift from someone, I don't know who it was, but it was erasable, what was it, colored pencils? Erasable colored pencils? Erasable markers? I don't know. Anyway, it was something like that. I was like, this works. This is, I wish I had this when I was a kid. I'd just erase everything that got outside the lines and turn it in. Listen, God doesn't write your names in the eternal book of life, in the Lamb's book of life, with something that's erasable. It is permanently recorded there. You are tattooed. You are forever his child. And he doesn't lose you out of his hand. You know, salvation in its truest sense isn't our salvation. It's God's salvation. How do I know that? Well, one of the greatest proofs of that was David in Psalm 51 when he said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. It is God's salvation that he gifts to you. And in gifting you that, he holds you in it for all time and always. God desires for you and I to have an assurance of salvation. Just because you doubt it doesn't mean you're not a Christian anymore. Just because you've wondered, am I really saved? Could he really have truly saved somebody like me after all I've done? We shouldn't live our Christian lives wondering and worrying every day whether we're saved. That's why the Bible makes the plan of salvation so clear. How many do we have saved this week? Five children were saved at Vacation Bible School this week. God wants to save those babies. Satan, we all know this, that Satan is going to kids at younger and younger ages trying to snatch them. And so if a baby, if a li- I call them babies, man. I, mine, I call them babies still. They're not infants. They're not uh, drinking bottles and everything like that, but they're babies. I call y'all babies. Y'all are babies. Grace needs a bottle. Richard needs a bottle. But you know what? If a child can understand it and the Spirit of God can draw them to conviction and they can put their faith in Jesus, anybody can do that. And so here's the beautiful thing. We're called to believe in Jesus. Questions. Do you believe Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins? Yes or no? Do you believe Jesus rose again from the dead? Yes. Do you trust Jesus alone for salvation? Yes. And if your answer to these questions is yes, you are saved. Assurance means freedom from doubt. That's the best definition I got. Freedom from doubt, man. By taking God's word to heart, you don't have to have any doubt anymore about the reality of your eternal salvation. I put all this last part on the screen because I want you to see it and and read it and I want it to sink in a little bit. Go ahead to the next slide. Look at John 10. 
Uh, I'm sorry, wherever that was. I, Jesus, give them eternal life, and they shall never perish and never die. Okay, we'll all die a physical death. We understand that, but he's speaking about a spiritual death. Unless Jesus comes back first, we, we won't even have to die a physical death. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Man, you need to secure that word in your heart. It needs to be an anchor there. God won't lose you. Satan can't have you. The world can't steal you. You are safe. Go to that last one. Take joy in what God's word is saying. God's word is trustworthy. My goodness, if it's not time-tested, I don't know what is. God's Word is life-giving, completely reliable, it's accurate, it's true. Instead of doubting, you can live with confidence. You know, part of the world's problem is that they don't have any assurance in what's next. They don't know what's going to come after this. I've done... I've done funerals, so many funerals, man. I used to volunteer to do funerals when I was in Alma for a funeral home that if people didn't have a church affiliation and they needed someone that they could call. And I walked into homes, my goodness, guys, and you can recognize real quick, okay, it's always awkward. You walk into a room where there's a dozen crying, sad people, and you don't know any of them and they don't know you, and you talk about awkwardness. And they're mourning the loss of someone that they loved. And you're going in trying to offer hope and assurance and find out about that person and get some information and find some likes and, and learn so that you can actually do a good job for the deceased and for the family and still honor God at their funeral service. Oh, that is, it is weird. And you can tell within probably the first, how many would you say, Ben? Five minutes that you're with a family, whether they have faith in Jesus or whether they do not whether they have assurance of eternal salvation or whether they do not. And it is the saddest thing to try to minister to a family. I mean, you don't, oh my gosh. It's just the saddest thing. You're trying to offer them assurance of eternal salvation, eternal hope, eternal joy, heaven. And if you don't have that to offer, you can't, man. You don't preach somebody into heaven that you know lived for hell their entire lives. You also don't preach somebody into hell God's the one who knows those things. But here's the deal. If you have assurance of the Lord, there will be evidences of God's faithfulness and your fruit that are present in your lives. Do you have fruit? If I'm a child of God, here's a few things that are going to happen. When I'm doing something wrong, I'm going to feel conviction from the Lord. Also, when I'm living righteously, there is going to be some fruit produced from my life. Are those things happening in your life? There's some testers there. We can have the assurance from Christ's own word that our salvation will never be in question. Our assurance of salvation is based on the perfect and complete salvation God has provided for us through Jesus Christ. And so, final question, are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
And if the answer is yes, breathe a deep breath and rest assured in Him because you're saved. Grow in that assurance. Now here's the flip of it. This morning, if you're not assured of Jesus as your Savior, it's a dangerous place to live. And you need Jesus today. And so I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Listen, guys, nobody's, nobody, there is not, I promise you, there's not a soul in this place or a soul that's watching that would point at you, that would snicker at you, that would laugh at you, that would judge you if you were to walk this aisle this morning and say, I've lived a pretend salvation. I've lived a lie for so long. And I need Jesus to save my soul. I want to tell you what would happen instead. You would have so many brothers and sisters that were rejoicing and rushing down the aisle to hug you and kiss you and love on you and shake your hand and tell you how proud of you they were. You do not have to fear in the assembly of believers judgment. The only judgment you have to fear comes from the Lord. And guys, if you haven't bowed your knee to the Lord, asked Him to forgive you of your sins, and called upon Him as Savior this morning, then when your life is over, you will be judged. And without Jesus Christ, man, the eternal reality of your soul is in a place that is the eternal absence of God and the eternal absence of good and the eternal absence of holiness called hell. Trust Jesus today. If you're trusting Jesus today, rest in the assurance that he's got you. Man, it may seem like it's all falling apart sometimes. He's still got you. There were storms on the Galilean Sea. He still loved his disciples. He was still with them. He's still with you this morning. But my friends, if you're here today and you don't have any assurance of salvation, maybe you prayed a prayer when you were a kid and you don't feel like that was really good, or maybe you just went and got baptized one day and, and you don't feel like uh, there's still any hope in your heart, nothing's changed in the way you're living. If you need Jesus, today is the perfect opportunity to follow and trust Jesus. I'm going to tell you that you can come forward and talk to me. I would love to rejoice in you with that and, and to know that. I would also love to pray with you and, and lead you. But I'll also tell you this, that if you're sitting where you're at, maybe you're not a people person, I know some aren't, and you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ, salvation is still just as good whether you come in front of the church or whether you don't. And it takes this, the Roman road, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is this, eternal life in Christ Jesus. While we were dead in our trespasses, God sent his son. That if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.13 says, For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, my friends, if you will confess your sin, admit that you need a Savior, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved once, forever, always, eternally. That's what it takes. It's not the words that you say. It's not anything else that you do. 
It's fully relying on God and His Son. So believe it. Heavenly Father, work in our hearts today. Do something amazing. Maybe today is the first day of eternal life for somebody. We praise you and thank you for your goodness and for your word. We have assurance that you're there for us, that you're still on your throne, that you're sending your son Jesus to come back for us soon. We have assurance of heaven. And Lord, I pray that we all have assurance of the fact that when we die, we're going to be with you because of Christ. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.